like to welcome you this morning to the Crossroads podcast. Today, our host, Dr. Lee Adams, will be in the studio and his guest will be Dr. Kimmins. So as everyone gets ready to come in and be part of this this podcast this morning, we ask you to very attentive and have questions. Comment on on the podcast. We are so excited. We are waiting on our host that's coming in now, uh, Dr. Lee Adams, and we will turn everything over to Dr. Lee Adams. You have it, Doc. Good morning, good morning, and good morning again to our podcast listening audience for Saturday, March 13th. Can you hear me? AD 2021. Welcome to our podcast entitled Crossroads, where our symbols are the interstate markings of Interstate 40, traveling east and west, and the interstate markings of Interstate 55, which travels north and south. It is here where north and south meets east and west, where coming together is the epicenter and the center point. It is where our journey begins. And it is where we commence our podcast entitled Crossroads. We're discussing contemporary topics of interest with leading men and women in business and industry government and politics, in public safety, in health and wellness, neighborhood and community development, where education and religion is discussed, where we look at the criminal justice reform system and the law. These and other issues of major concern are discussed and analyzed because they affect us as individuals, as groups, and as a nation. During the month of February last month, we highlighted and we spotlighted Black History Month. And this is another installment of that great series as we extend into the month of March. Our theme is the Black experience Africa to America. Special thanks is being given to our producer, Dr. Bruce Smith, co-owner of BBS Gospel Net, along with his wife, Dr. Victoria Smith. And without them, this podcast would not be possible. Thank you, Dr. Bruce and Dr. Victoria Smith. Also, I want to thank the podcast listening audience for your tuning in. And you can always inbox us with your questions, with your comments, and with your concerns. And if you like this podcast, hit the follow button, and we certainly will appreciate it. We know that this nation is being bombarded with so many issues that confront us on a daily basis, such as the aftermath of the election. We look at even the assault and armed confrontation on the nation's capital. We look at dealing with crises relating 
to the COVID virus, how the importance it is of obtaining and distribution of this needed virus. As we look at the continued deaths from it, we are studying and trying to understand what is going on uh, with so much violence in our nation, the racial divide that seems to continue uh, to be a part of the fabric of America. We look at suicides by our youth and young adults. Schools are faced uh, with loss of funds. Students are having poor academic achievement and low achievement drive, and even state sanctions against school systems are being explored. This pandemic is affecting businesses and hospitals and employment and jobs. Even our governors and mayors are dealing with this crisis. So the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. asked the question, where do we go from here? And on today, I want to thank you for listening in because we're going to pose that question to our guests. Our guest this morning was born in Hernando, Mississippi, reared in Memphis, Tennessee, attended public schools, and received his high school diploma from Frederick Douglass High School in Memphis. He was a student athlete and received an athletic scholarship to attend Lincoln University in Jefferson City, Missouri. He was active in the Student Government Association in ROTC. He's a military man serving as a first lieutenant in the United States Army during the Vietnam era. I want to present to you uh, and introduce to others a man who has presented more than 500 lectures to all kinds of organizations. He has been selected as a distinguished alumnus of his alma mater, Lincoln University. He was a 2003 recipient of the Friends Award in Orlando, Florida, 2006 recipient of the National Alliance of Black School Educators. Uh, he has served uh, as an outstanding community leader by the citizens of Daytona Beach, Florida. Uh, Dr. Kimmons is his name. He has been awarded the key to 12 major cities in the United States by the mayors. I want to present to you this morning a man who has served at every level in higher education, teaching and learning, dedication and with distinction. He has been a classroom teacher, a college professor, a dean, a vice president, an interim president, a campus president, and chancellor. He serves as an educational consultant for pre-K through 16 schools and works diligently with parents and teachers in all of the schools as a speaker and a presenter. He is a husband. He is also a father. I want to present to you this morning our guest, Dr. Willie J. Greer Kimmons. Good morning to you, Dr. Kimmons. Good morning, Dr. Adams. Can you hear me? 
I hear you well. I hear me well. Yes, sir. Yes, I don't sir. need. I don't need to speak now. After I don't need to speak now. After all that introduction, you know. <laughs> I, I wonder who that is. You know, I appreciate it. I want to say good morning to Dr. Adams, my brother, classmate, and a friend in Christ. Uh, thanks for inviting me to share some thoughts during this. I call it Black History and Women History Month. Also, a special thanks to Dr. and Mrs. Smith for their assistance and support in this Black History and Women History uh, Month. And hopefully I can make some historical comments that will enlighten some of our black and brown brothers and sisters from Africa to America, from Africa to America. I am a country boy, I am a country boy. I'm the oldest of 27 sisters and brothers, and I had 16 sisters and 11 brothers. The ironic thing about it is I went to a one-room schoolhouse one-room schoolhouse in uh, Hernando, Mississippi. We could only go to the ninth grade. And uh, in other words, uh, I went from the outhouse to public housing to the White House and never missed a beat. It was interesting. Uh, my grandfather in Hernando, Mississippi, it was against the law to learn how to read and write. And uh, he taught me, he said, boy, you know, I want you to take me riding throughout Hernando, Mississippi. And he woke me up one morning. I was 19 years old. I was at home from the, uh, from the Easter break from Lincoln University in Missouri. And I said, Pop, it's 4 o'clock in the morning. He said, but be obedient, boy. Be obedient. Put on your best suit. So he took me down to Hernando, Mississippi, riding. And I didn't realize what Papa was doing, but I took him riding for 20 years. And Papa took me back seven generations. I can remember the last time that we went down to Mississippi, and I knew that uh, something was wrong with Papa because he was reminiscing, reminiscing. He had just turned 97 years old. And he said, boy, boy, when I get back to Memphis, I want you to go get those tapes. And I want you to do my eulogy. The best experience I ever had was doing my grandfather's eulogy because he took me back seven generations. And he was uh, not allowed to read and write. And I can remember being in Hernando, we had chopped and picked cotton. We were tenant farmers. And we had picked all this cotton and put it in the wagon. I was so happy. I drove the wagon to Hernando, Mississippi. And we got there, and I must have been about 12, 13 years old, I guess. And the white man gave Papa a little handful of money. And I said, Papa, that's all the money we're going to get. And he slapped me so hard <laughs> until I, I, I stumbled over on the grounds. And I didn't speak to him for about six months. And what he told me, Dr. Adams, and to the listening audience, he said, boy, I saved your life. I saved your life. Interesting. And so, you know, I, I will never, ever forget that. So Papa told me, he said, boy, I want, you to, I want you to invest in yourself while you're young so you can reap the benefits when you get old, own some land and real estate. And he said, boy, you know, get a good education. Always stay in prayer. And he said, if people, if you're independent and self-sufficient, if people don't like you, but if you really don't need them, they will respect you. And he said, always remember, never, ever forgets from whence you come. So 20 years later, and Papa was 97 years young, I can remember very vividly when he asked me to do his eulogy. And, uh, and the greatest joy of my life was to do my grandfather's eulogy. And I, and I really... Really, really appreciated that. And then the other thing is, I want to say, Dr. Adams, about Papa. 
Papa was my first black history teacher in Hernando, Mississippi. And as a result of all of that, I retired at the age of 56. And I want to say January, let's go back to January the 6th, 2021. It was really interesting since we talk about racism and education and politics. And um, January the 6th, 2021 was the first time that white folks experienced being violently attacked by white folks. And now maybe they can understand somewhat what we've endured for over 400 years every day in this country and the world as being black and brown folks. See, we need to teach and remind our people, especially young people, that black history should be celebrated every day, every day. And black history should be also celebrated every month other than February. We need to encourage our people to do research beyond what we hear or see on television or the radio or read in the newspapers. As I always say, we need to study and analyze ourselves as opposed to being studied and analyzed by others. It is important that we do that. And today is unfortunate that we still have churches. I know this doesn't sit well with a lot of religious people, but uh, we still have churches uh, that will not allow women in the pulpit. There are more women in churches today than men. Women are really carrying the church today, you know. March, this is March, this is Women's History Month. And we need to celebrate great, great, great grandmothers who endured all the cruelty during slavery. We need to celebrate grandmothers and mothers that helped to birth us, like my 94-year-old mother in Memphis, Tennessee. Where my mother told me, she said, boy, he was... <laughs> It was 12, 12 pounds at birth, so I was glad to get rid of him. <laughs> we need to celebrate that. We need to celebrate our wives, our girlfriends, our aunts, our nieces, our sisters. Uh, you know, we, my granddaddy had a saying in Hernando, Mississippi. He called them safe Negroes. Uh, and I, I, it took me a while to understand what a safe Negro was and, uh, because he said, if you didn't stand for something, you're going to die for nothing. And if you can be bought, boy, you can be sold. So when you talk about black history issues, racism, and you talk about politics and education, once again, we, we, we celebrate Women in Black History Month. We find ourselves collectively thinking about contributions black folks have made only during this month in February and March. And we know that ironically, February is the shortest month of the year, 28 days. And I wonder why. I wonder why. It is obvious that white folks still do not see blacks as equal. God made all of us, made us different, but made us equal. And my friends and listening audience, if you clearly understand our rich history as black folks, and I'm speaking really to black people, especially young people, if you clearly understand our rich history as black folks, we would understand that black and brown folks were first to be in this, on this earth, they were first to be in what is now called the United States of America. Blacks and brown laid the foundation for this country. 
after doing some extensive research on my own to my friends and listening audience about black and brown people in this country, I discovered that black and brown people were the founders of the first city in the United States of America in 1565. And today that city is named St. Augustine, Florida, which is about 60 miles north of Daytona Beach, Florida, where I live. This was 54 years before the date of 1619. That's the date they give us as stated when blacks were brought to this country as slaves in Jamestown, Virginia. Also, it was more than 200 years before the so-called 1776 United States Declaration of Independence, as 13 independent states served their political commitments to Great Britain. Now, when you talk about history, I'm often reminded of, of my high school, Frederick Douglass High School in Memphis, Tennessee. I've spent many, many, many years trying to convince my alumni friends and, and friends and colleagues at Frederick Douglass that it's not Douglass, it's not George Washington Carver. I mean, not Carver, it's George Washington Carver. It's not Douglass, it's Frederick Douglass because Frederick Douglass was born 1818 and died in 1895 born into slavery, and he was an abolitionist, you know, who refused to speak on the 4th of July in Rochester, New York. And this was July 4th, 1852, because he stated that black folks were not free. So he chose to speak on July the 5th, not July the 4th. And the title of his presentation was, What to Slave is the 4th of July? It was 72 typewritten pages. And the ironic thing about it is the speech is more relevant today, some 169 years later, in 2021, because racism still exists today. Lynchings, killings daily in this country, lack of employment, affordable housing, medical care, inadequate education. Black and brown people are still disenfranchised and still treated as unequal to whites. Our schools still by large, by in large, are segregated, segregated. And Sunday is still the most segregated day of the week in our churches. When I think of Frederick Douglass and the uh, community there where I went to high school, I'd like to cite historically, and I think this is important for our young people to know and for anybody that's in Memphis to know. There's a guy named William Rush Plummer. He was born a slave in 1858 and he died in 1930. William Plummer was the son of a white slave master and a black mother from Africa. The ironic thing about it, his slave master gave him 40 acres of land, 40 acres of land. So what he did with that 40 acres of land where the so-called Douglas community neighborhood currently stands, he turned his land into a community named after Frederick Douglass a man he had come to admire and befriend, and therefore he named the community and the school after Frederick Douglass, an abolitionist, an orator. Today, the St. Paul Missionary Baptist Church there in the Frederick Douglass community in 1902 was founded by William Rush Plummer, and he served as the first pastor in the Frederick Douglass community. Africa to America. We as a race of people 
have to educate and orientate uh, people about the importance of voting. We're talking about politics, voting. Do you realize, my colleagues and friends, if we had just voted, 26% of black folks in this country voted for Donald Trump. 36% of Latinos voted for Donald Trump. If we had just voted, we could have had a black governor in the state of Florida who lost a race by one percentage point. We could have had the first black attorney general in the state of Florida who also lost by one percentage point. We could have had a black female governor in the state of Georgia who won by less than one percentage point. If we had just voted the way we voted when Barack Obama ran in 2008 and 2012, we came out and voted in excess of 80%. So we can vote, but we must be able to vote at the local, regional, district, and state level. That's where the decisions will be made. That's why it's very difficult for us to make any kind of decisions in terms of turning over these, these crimes that policemen and others that are, that are dealing with black folks in our community because we don't have people at the table where the decisions are being made. And so as long as you got other folks at the local, state, regional, and national level making those decisions, it's very difficult for us to render any kind of verdict in our changes. Black elected officials. Just take Memphis for an example, where I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. I grew up in the 40s and 50s in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, went to Frederick Douglass High School in 1958, graduated in 1962. The only reason I mention that is because the laws were not on the books until 1965 and 64. I can remember Harold Ford Sr., one of my long, lifelong friends, was the first black congressman. I remember how hard we fought to get the first black congressman. Today, we don't have a black elected official in Washington, D.C. to represent the state of Tennessee. So how in the world are we going to get anything done? There's nobody there to represent us, represent our spe uh, spe special interests. I can remember my other lifelong friend, Dr. Willie Harrington. Willie and I go back over 65 years. Willie became the first black superintendent of schools. Unheard of. Then he became the first black mayor. Willie is the longest reigning black mayor in the city of Memphis, Tennessee. Now, the other person I want to mention is Judge Ben Hooks, first black judge in Shelby County. Uh, I can remember very vividly when these people I just named, how hard we fought in a city that has in excess of 65 to 70 percent black folks. But we still don't have any representation in Washington, D.C. at the congressional or the senatorial level to represent us. The Tom Lee Park for our young people, they have no idea the history behind Tom Lee Park or the legacy that Tom Lee, a, a black man who saved the lives of many, many, many people, white folks in the Mississippi River. They had a statue of Tom Lee Park down there where he saved all these white folks from drowning. Then Reverend Blair T. Hunt, Reverend Blair T. Hunt, Mississippi Boulevard Church, an educator, religious person, leader, and you know, all these things. And I, and I can remember they on Main Street, Main and Henry, where they had the slave quarters, where they used to secretly underground 
take slaves out on the Mississippi River. We lived in apartment buildings, public housing there. And a lot of people do not understand our history. You cannot even go there now. I remember I went there about three, four years ago just to see the old neighborhood there on North Main Street where Main Street runs out. The police stopped me twice, twice, and, you know, and saw my Florida tags and asked why I was in the area, thought I was lost. I said, I'm just reminiscing, taking my family through where I grew up. And it was obvious that now that neighborhood is turning, turning white. So we, we've given up our traditional black communities. Uh, most of the black communities right now, traditional black communities right now, uh, own, the houses are owned by whites because my generation, other generations sold it out and gave it up. You can't find a black traditional grocery store in the black community anymore. I used to love going down Chelsea Street, one of the longest street in Memphis, Tennessee. They had manicure lawns, manicure lawns. People made three to $4,000, $5,000 a year, but nobody had their britches below their butts. They had discipline. You had businesses going. You had people supporting each other. You had pride and appreciation. Today, if you drive down from one end of Chelsea to the end, to the last end, you know, I want to cry because it looks like somebody dropped a bomb in the middle of Chelsea. So we, who do you blame? So we as a race of people, my friends and listening audience, we need to educate and orientate our people about the importance of voting and have some economic wealth. But we did this as black folks 100 years ago, 100 years ago. If you just cite some of the political leaders that came before all of us, I mean, we have to let our young people realize that uh, we just didn't get started. We didn't get started late. Are you kidding? We came here in 1565 and started the first city, St. Augustine, Florida. Are you kidding? We were the first people that born in this world and also in this country. And also go back and look at the black elected officials, politics. We had a U.S. Senator, PBS pinched back from Louisiana, a Southern state, a racist state in 1871. We had Harmon Rebels from Mississippi, all places, was a U.S. Senator in 1870. We had Blanche Bruce, also from Mississippi. Uh, can you imagine? a U.S. Senator in 1875. We had black governors. PBS Pinchback from Louisiana was a governor for 1872. And we didn't get another governor because, you know, what happened, Jim Crow. And, and we had all these things going on. The next governor we had from 1872 was to 1990 was Douglas Wilder. And I, then I go back and look at all the black elected officials that was lieutenant governors. Oscar Don in Louisiana, 1871. And then we talk about a little bit about sports. See, we still think of that, oh, you know, the Kentucky Derby, Kentucky Derby, Kentucky Derby. Black people in Louisville, Kentucky fought for 20 years to be recognized as the one who started the Kentucky Derby. And her and Mississippi, we've been riding bareback mules and horses for years. Do you realize, colleagues and my listening audience, Oscar Lewis, Oliver Lewis, I'm sorry, Oliver Lewis in 1875 won the first ever Kentucky Derby in Louisville, Kentucky. 
Isaac Burns Murphy was the first jockey to ever train, train in the Kentucky Derby. It is important that we understand that. We understand that because we're thinking that whites created all this. And when you start thinking about, about the Herman Rebels, for an example, an example, I mentioned him earlier. Uh, when you look at the black elected officials, Rebels, Joseph Rainey of South Carolina, they all was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, you know, many, many years ago. And there were more than 23 black congressmen. I want to repeat that. More than 23 black congressmen in the 1870s. And guess what, my listening audience? They all were from southern states. Ironically, they all were Republicans because, you know, since 1865 to 1945, we were Republicans. And but we had 23 black congressmen in Congress in Washington, D.C. in the 1870s. From southern states, there were 1,500 African-Americans official holders who served during the Reconstruction between 1863 and 1877. From 1868 to 1878, there were more than 100 African-Americans served in, of all places, in the Alabama legislatures. Now, when you think about all these things that we're doing, when you look around, since we're talking about black history, I mean, black women's uh, history, and I think it's very important that we look at that because black women have been so profound in this country. Just think, the backbone of this country has been black women. They've endured so much. And I would say that a lot of people never heard of Pauline Murray. Dr. Pauline Murray was born 1910 and died in 1985. She was in religions and politics. She was an American civil rights activist. Dr. Pauline Murray became a lawyer of women's rights and an author. She was the first African-American woman to be ordained as an Episcopal priest. She experienced a great deal of criticism and racism and being black and racism and gender equality. And in 1940 in North Carolina, I think this is very important. This was 15 years before Rosa Parks sat at the front of the bus. But Pauline Murray did in 1940 in North Carolina. So it's important that we know that. In 1943, 17 years before the 1960 Greenboro, North Carolina lunch counter sit-in, Pauline Murray was a trailblazer, a woman, a black woman, ahead of her time and experienced racial discrimination from black professors, even black professors and classmates while she was attending Howard University Law School and because of her sexual orientation. And she influenced influenced and inspired the careers of people like Thurgood Marshall, who became our first Supreme Court Justice, and also Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was a Supreme Court Justice. So Pauline Murray influenced all these people. Jackie Joyner Kersey, talking about sports, track and field, first African-American women, woman to win a gold medal in the long jump in 1992. 
1999, she was named the greatest female athlete of the 20th century by Sports Illustrator for women. And in 2004, she was inducted into the U.S. Track and Field Hall of Fame. Another African-American female since we celebrated African-American women during Black Women's Month. Dr. Mae Jemison, she was a physician, an engineer, an educator, American engineer, physician and founder, and former astronaut. She became the first black woman to travel into space. In 1993, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame and the International Space Hall of Fame. Another woman I'm sure we never heard of. This is very, very important to our young women and women in general, Dr. Katherine Johnson. We just recently heard about her after she passed away and she went to one school in uh, West Virginia State University. But first African-American female, NASA, mathematician, who made tremendous contribution to the space program, was hidden in the background because she was black and female. Do you realize, my friends, that Dr. Katherine Johnson calculated the trajectory for the America's first trip to space with Alan Shepard in 1961 mission. Now, another person I'm so proud of, a black woman, the Honorable Shirley Chisholm, who was my godmother, educator, politician, black, first black woman to be elected to the United States Congress in 1968. The first woman, black, brown, or white, but the first woman to seek the office of the presidency of the United States, 1972. Not Hillary Clinton, not Hillary Clinton, but 1972, unheard of, to seek the office of the presidency. And she, as I indicated, she was my godmother, and she authored the two outstanding books, Unbought, Unbossed, and Fought a Good Fight. Then she was the founder of the National Congress of Black Women Organization, where she was secretly in, 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 in recruiting and increasing the number of black women into politics as a result of her initiative. Another classmate of mine in graduate school in Illinois was Carol Mosley Bronze from Illinois. This is important. Black History Month. Carol Mosley Bronze was the first African-American woman to be a United States Senator. Not Kamala Harris, not Kamala Harris. Carol Mosley Carol Mosley Bronze did this in 1993, and the only second Black U.S. Senator since Reconstruction. And see, we need to let everybody know that the era of the first Black U.S. Senator was Harmon Revels in 1870. Do you realize that we didn't have another U.S. Senator until 1993, from 1870 to 1993, which was Carol Mosley Bronze from Illinois? The other woman would a lot of us in Memphis should really relate to, I think this is very, very, very important. Ida B. Wells, Ida B. Wells. Oh, we, we got to know her. 1862, 1931. We've heard of Holly Springs, Mississippi and her relationship with Memphis. Ida B. Wells, Ida B. Wells was American in, investigative journalist. She was a writer, an educator and was a major figure in the civil rights movement. She was a feminist, 
and an abolitionist, anti-slavery, you know, who led anti-lynching crusades in the United States and throughout Mississippi in the 1890s. She was a writer, a newspaper owner, and she wrote articles on race for the Memphis newspapers. Ironically, she worked, she taught in the school system in Memphis, Tennessee. And because of her anti-lynching crusade and writing about anti-lynching, the Memphis city school system fired Ida B. Wells. There's a statue in Holly Springs, Mississippi in her honor. Another black female. It's interesting. Now, the last two I'm going to, last two or three I'm going to mention is that we need to know about attorney Patricia Harris. Attorney Patricia Harris, Washington, D.C. In 1965, she was the first African-American woman to serve as an ambassador in the United States. Attorney Patricia Harris. She was the first African-American dean of the law school in 1970 at Howard University. It is important that we recognize these contributions that these black females have made. And the last two I want to mention, just briefly, Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, abolitionists, freedom fighters. They laid the foundation for what we know now as the Civil Rights Movement. We talked about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Dr. King and any of these people ever heard of, but they laid the foundation. And please don't forget, down in rural, rural Mississippi, Fannie Lou Hamer. I'll never forget Fannie Lou Hamer. She was a tenant farmer, tenant farmer, picking cotton in the Delta like I was in Hernando, Mississippi. Fannie Lou Hamer, God bless her soul. I remember having Clay Powell came down to Mississippi. He was trying to reach a compromise for the blacks down there. So he went to Fannie Lou Hamer. And Adam Clay Powell, as you know, was a congressman from New York, real fair skinned with curly hair. You can imagine Fannie Lou Hamer, she's a traditional black woman, traditional black woman in the Delta, chopped and picked cotton all of her life. And Adam Cleve Powell walked up to her and I can see her now. He looked down, he said, lady, you don't know who I am. And she looked up at him and said, sir, have you ever picked a bale of cotton? Sir, have you ever been beaten by white folks until you almost bled to death? Have you ever been raped by white men against your will, and Adam Clayton Pound left Fannie Lou Hamer alone because he didn't know what cotton was. So we have to be very careful. We have to make sure that we appreciate each other and stop trying to divide ourselves. And Fannie Lou Hamer was one of the foundations of the whole civil rights bill. You go back in like 1965 and 64 would have never existed without Fannie Lou Hamer, without Fannie Lou Hamer, the types of her. You know, it is important that we recognize that. Emmett Till, we forget Emmett Till. I can remember very vividly, vividly. Money in Mississippi was not that far from Hernando, Mississippi. I'm 12 years old, Emmett Till is 14. I can remember the little old ladies running through the neighborhood said they're killing all the little black boys, rushing us in the house. I can remember that like yesterday. If it were not for Fannie Lou Hamer and Emmett Till, 
the civil rights bill will have never been passed. President Linda Johnson feared Fannie Lou Hamer when she was on the floor talking at the National Convention's Democratic Convention in 1965. He had the news channels all over the United States to blur her out, to take her off the air because he didn't want to hear what she had to say. He feared her because she didn't have any fear of any man because God was her master. God was her mentor. And when she would say that, you know, if you live, you're going to get sick. If you live, you're going to die. If you live, you're going to get old. So she didn't fear any human being. She said, God is her savior. And so as a result of that, when they got ready to sign the Civil Rights Bill in 1965, they didn't invite Fannie Lou Hamer to the, to the White House. They invited Dr. King, who had nothing to do with it. They didn't invite John Lewis. They didn't have nothing to do with it, but they got all the credit. My thing is, where are the foot soldiers? We need to recognize the foot soldiers, those who were poor before 64 and 65. If they have family members that are still alive, they are poor now. All we know is what's been taught to us. I can remember in February of 2020, 2020, I can remember being in Charleston, South Carolina, invited to speak at the Mother Emanuel African Methodist Church for Black History Month last February. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the nine statues of the people that, who were lynched and murdered by a young white racist in 2015. They had no statue. I was spellbound. Something is wrong because the white establishment told them, do not celebrate these black folks. The same thing they told black people in the Frederick Douglass community, do not embrace Frederick Douglass. They put fear, like they've always done, through lynching and beatings. We don't want you to associate with an abolitionist. So we have to be careful, careful, you know, that we know our history and know that we're standing on the grounds of kings and queens. And if we know that, my friends, maybe we will stop killing each other if we know our rich history. The other thing I want to, want to mention to you about the 1800s in black cities who owned banks. We're talking about businesses. Boldy, B-O-L-D-Y, Oklahoma. Tulsa, Oklahoma. You heard the history. Tulsa and Boldy were called the Black Wall Street. White folks didn't want you to identify with that. Not at all. Not at all. This is one of the many reasons we as black folks are suffering economically and politically. My grandfather turned down to Mississippi. He couldn't read or write because it was against the law for blacks to be educated. But God gave him what I call mother wit. Mother wit. And he told me about the rich history of Hernando. Seven generations. I will never forget that. Never forget that. He said, boy, get a good education, own some land and real estate, become self-sufficient and independent and vote and vote because my friends and listening audience, we can march, we can sing, we can shout, we can pray. And I believe in prayer. I got baptized at the Ebenezer Missionary Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee in 1953. I am a child of God. But if we don't have some political power, 
that we don't have some economic power, nothing will ever change, my friends and listening audience. An example of this, I mentioned in my hometown, in Memphis, Tennessee. I left Memphis in 1962 to attend Lincoln University in Missouri. Some 50 plus years later, we as black folks have retrogressed on every front, not only in Memphis, but throughout this country. In education, through the charter school, we gave up the charter. Public schools. We, if it weren't for public school, most people in Memphis, Tennessee, that's over 60, 65 years of age, maybe 70 years of age, would not have been educated. Business, religion, housing, crime, employment, and politics. The, as I mentioned earlier, the city is about 70% black. We don't have any political representation at all at the congressional level and the senatorial level. You know, I can remember we had no one fighting and representing our interests in Washington, D.C. We gave up our charter, our public schools. We gave up the mayorship. We gave up the Congress after years of fighting to get representation. And the traditional black communities are deplorable. Crime is running rampant. So who do you blame? I can remember radio stations, newspapers, funeral homes. I can remember banks. You know, I can remember the tri-state banks. We had seven, eight, nine banks throughout Memphis. What happened? Branches all over the city. We got one Black-owned radio station left in Memphis. Who owns our funeral homes? Who owns our banks? What happened, my colleagues and friends? Where do we lose all our political and business interest? You know, who do you bring? Then if you want to go back to, to some inventors, we talk about politicians, talk about inventors, a lot of people don't realize that who was Richard Allen? You know, who was Morris Brown? We know about Morris Brown College in, in, um, in Atlanta, Georgia. He was one of the founders, Morris Brown, in 1770, in 1849, of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. He founded Emmanuel A.M. AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, in 1816, where I spoke in February of 2020 for Black History Month, where the nine black people were slaughtered by young white racists. Percy Julian. A lot of black folks never heard of Percy Julian. He was a black chemist. He founded the steroids. A lot of us go and get steroids we don't even know. Birth control pills for women. Human hormones. A black man, Percy Julian. He developed medicine from plants. He was the first black to be inducted into the National Academy of Sciences. But they destroyed his labs. They, meaning white folks, didn't want him to get the credit of it. One of the worst case scenario that I like to give in terms of our black history is Dr. Charles Drew. I used to be a dean of a black college in Washington, D.C., and I met his daughter, his only child, Jarlene, Darlene Jarvis Drew. Dr. Charles Drew. Can you imagine? Developed the blood plasma and the blood bank. You know, can you imagine? And he died 
because he had he was in an automobile accident in 1950, April 1st, in Burlington, North Carolina, not that far from Durham, North Carolina. He was in an automobile accident. Dr. Charles Drew, my friends and listening audience, was the closest thing to being white that I ever seen. And he developed the blood plasma and the blood bank. And that 1950, an automobile accident in North Carolina, he was bleeding profusely and was turned away from white hospitals because they refused to give him blood transfusion, the blood transfusion, and he died as a result of bleeding to death because he was black. And can you imagine, he was the founder of the blood plasma and blood transfusion, an extremely, extremely light skin. So we got a lot of problems, a lot of problems. The other guy, when we talk about education, as Dr. Adams mentioned earlier, the book I want to tell our young people and all black folks, most, most people should know about this book, but it was published in 1933, The Miseducation of the Negro, Dr. Carter G. Woodson. A lot of people don't realize that Dr. Carter G. Woodson was the founder of Black History Day, Black History Week, and Black History Month. Dr. Carter G. Woodson. It is important. The father of African-American history. He founded Black History Day and Week and Month in 1926. And the founder in 1915 for the study of African-American life and history. The most powerful book that I've ever read, The Miseducation of the Negro. You know what Dr. Carter G. Woodson famous statements are? in the back of his book that I have in front of me, The Miseducation of the Negro, 1933, he said, when you control a man's thinking, you do not have to worry about his actions. You do not have to tell him not to stand there or go yonder. He will find his proper place and he will stay in it. You do not need to send him to the back door. He will go without being told. In fact, if there's no back door, he will cut one for his special benefit. His education makes it necessary. History shows that it does not matter who is in power. Those who have not learned to do for themselves and have to depend solely on others never obtain any more rights or privileges in the end than they had in the beginning. Dr. Carter G. Woodson. Another thing I want to say is that I think this is important. We all drink, a lot of us drink whiskey. I don't drink whiskey, but a lot of black folks drink whiskey. A lot of black folks drink whiskey. And we go around there, oh, you know, we heard of Jack Daniels, Jack Daniels, Jack Daniels. I hear a lot of my relatives and friends, yeah, I love Jack Daniels. We don't even know what we're drinking. Jack Daniels was founded by a black man. He was a slave, born a slave in Maryland, 1820. His name was Nathan Nearest, N-A-R-N-E-A-R-E-S-D, Green. They called him Uncle Nearest Whiskey. He was the godfather of Tennessee and Kentucky whiskey. He taught and trained white Jack Daniel how to make whiskey in 1884. Uncle Nearest was honored as the first African-American to make whiskey in 1856 in Lynchburg, Tennessee, his hometown. Whites learn from Uncle Nathan Nearest Green and stole the whiskey pattern, and the rest is history. 
the situation plays out in many, many, many inventions that African-Americans have made in this country, in this world, especially in this case when we talk about whiskey in Kentucky and Tennessee. You know, the interesting thing about it is that uh, there's a young lady named Fawn, F-A-W-N Weaver. I really love this since we talk about Black Women's History Month. Not Black Women's, but Women's History Month. A Black female got together with 10 other females and they traced the history of Uncle Nathan Nearest Green in, in 2017. Then they realized that he was a father of Tennessee and Kentucky whiskey. All female leadership teams, since we're talking about Women History Month, now there's some 25 of them in Shelbyville, Tennessee. They have a farm out there, thousands and thousands of acres of land, doing great, they have now the pattern. All of a sudden now they're in partnership with the descendants of Jack Daniels. They have scholarships, over 500 scholarships for African-American women to go to black colleges. Can you imagine? It took them all this time from 1884 to 2017 to find out who really started whiskey in Tennessee and Kentucky. And the other thing I wanted to mention to my listening audience is that my friend Frederick Douglass, and I want to end, I'm going to end with two things, one from Frederick Douglass and one from my grandfather. Frederick Douglass, which is one of my heroes. He always say, he's one of my great heroes, the late great Frederick Douglass, he always said, if there's no struggle, there's no progress. Those who profess to favor freedom and that democratic agitation of men who want crops without plying up the ground. They want rain without thunder and lightning. They want the ocean without the awful roll of its many waters. This struggle, my friends, may be a moral one, or it may be a physical one, or it may be moral or physical, but it must be a struggle because power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did and it never will. And then I want to leave with the things that my papa would say. In Hernando, Mississippi, at the age of 97, I took him riding at his request. And he asked me to do his eulogy, greatest joy of my life. His name was Willie Greer Sr. The things that Papa would say, and Nathan, and and uh, and also Papa was called Old Man Kimmins. Old Man Kimmins. The things that Papa would say. We used to call him Buster Kimmins. The things that Papa would say, he would say, boy, take time to pray, take time to play, take time to sleep, boy, take time to eat, take time to share, take time to care, take time to give, take time to live. He said, boy, live life to its fullest, one day at a time, because the only time you can control, boy, is the moment. Then he was standing pop his finger and he said, boy, that moment is gone. So my friends and listening audience, stay in prayer, stay healthy and stay safe. God bless us in the struggle. Thank you, Dr. Adams. 
God bless you. You have been listening to Dr. Whitty J. Greer Cummins. He is an educational consultant. He is founder and president and CEO of Save Children, Save Schools Incorporated, located in Daytona Beach, Florida. I want to thank him for such profound insight on uh, relevant topics of today as we have looked at the Black experience, Africa to America. I want to say to him, I have thoroughly enjoyed this podcast on this morning. He has talked about uh, his early school history. He has talked about his mentor being his grandfather. Uh, He has talked about his experiences at college and universities. He has talked about different men and women who have been great contributors to the African-American experience. And I want to share with him on today before we leave that when I was on the faculty at Manassas High School, uh, their house at Manassas High School was uh, the Ida B. Wells Academy. And I served on both of those faculties. They had two different uh, administrations and administrators, two different principals, and I served under both of them. I taught classes at Manansas, uh, certain periods, and then would go down to Ida B. Wells. And it's a great honor for you to call her name and to honor her on today. But I also want to share with you that I was a club sponsor of an organization at Manassas High School called the Old Timers. And their ideals was of citizenship, leadership, and scholarship. And each Thanksgiving, I would have our students who were old timers to uh, sponsor a program and we would bring in speakers from around the, the community. And part of that, we would have the homerooms to decorate uh, food baskets that we would distribute throughout the entire community from uh, the Manassas area of North Memphis, even to South Memphis and East Memphis and North Memphis proper. I got a call uh, and it said, Take a, take a basket to a particular home in Hyde Park. And so I loaded up with my students. I was delivering baskets, doing public service, teaching them the importance of giving and sharing. And I got to this home and this lady, I knocked on the door and the lady invited me in and, and I got uh, basket out of the uh, out of my trunk and anywhere I was delivering in North Memphis, um, especially in the Hyde Park area, I would make sure that they got some of the most choicest baskets that had the vegetables, fresh vegetables, fruit, fresh meat, turkeys, hams, and things like that. And the lady invited me in and told me to come in. And when I came in, she said, these are my children. 
You may know some of them. And I looked on the wall and there was a picture of a man by the name of Dr. Willie J. Greer Kimmons. I was in your home with the home of your mother at that time, some over 15 to 16 years ago when I was on faculty. And I tell you, I was so delighted and elated to know that I had come into your home. And she was so proud of all of her children. And I want to thank you, Dr. Kimmons, for what you have done. There is an award that is named for Horatio Alger. And that award is designed to cite those who have succeeded in spite of adversity and who emphasize the importance of higher education. I have not seen your name, but I want to do this on behalf of the Crossroads listening audience and podcast. There have been some great men, such as Hank Aaron, Colin Powell, Will, Wally Amos, Maya Angelou, Lou Brock, Dr. Ben Carson, Willie Stargell, George Foreman, Clarence Thomas, Denzel Washington, Dr. Willie Harrington, and others. But I want to tell you that even though your name is not there, I want to tell you that you rank with all of these men for being a man of humble beginnings and surroundings, and you have achieved, you have accomplished, you have overcome. And I want to thank you, Dr. Kimmons, for all that you do for us as a people, as a race, as a nation, and as men and women of the Most High. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Dr. Adams. And thank you for your listening audience, and God bless you. God bless you, and thanks for the opportunity. Until next Saturday, we'll be looking forward to another round of Crossroads. God bless you, and may God keep you is our prayer for you and your homes and your families.